Welcome to the Gut Podcast, focusing on the British Society of Gastroenterology's response to the coronavirus pandemic and on the guidance produced by a team of UK IBD specialists entitled British Society of Gastroenterology Guidance for the Management of Inflammatory Bowel Disease during the COVID-19 pandemic, which is to be published in paper copy in GUT in June 2020. My name is Dr. Philip Smith. I'm the Digital and Education Editor of GUT and Consultant Gastroenterologist at the Royal Liverpool Hospital. And I extend a very warm welcome to Dr. Catherine Edwards, who is the BSG President and Consultant Gastroenterologist at Torbay Hospital. And also Dr. Nick Kennedy um, from the Royal Devon and Exeter NHS Foundation Trust, who is also Consultant Gastroenterologist and IBD Specialist. Dr. Kennedy is the joint first author in this guidance. Firstly, I'd like to say thank you both to you um, for doing this podcast at this very stressful and pressurized time. Congratulations on the guidance, Nick and Catherine. I'm sure I speak for all BSG members in the UK when I say a big thank you for your outstanding leadership at this very difficult time. With that in mind, Catherine, do you mind me asking you first how the BSG has sought to support members from all sections? at the start of this pandemic, but especially those managing immunocompromised, high-risk group patients. Thank you, Phil, and uh, thanks very much to GUT for the opportunity to give some context uh, to the BSG's response to the COVID-19 challenges. I think the Society thought very carefully early on, back in February, about the need to have a coordinated professional response, both as a professional membership organisation, but most importantly, to try and think about how would we give guidance on specific specialty practice uh, to our patients most at risk. This led to some early mitigation of organisational risk for the BSG, as evidenced by the postponement of our annual conference. And also an early change to our operational capacity and processes in order to be able to provide rapid, but still well-governanced responses to areas of clinical priority practice during the pandemic. The response to the management of the vulnerable patient groups in both hepatology and luminal GI was an early opportunity to put those processes uh, into action. It's very important to stress that the BSG was not working in isolation, but alongside other medical specialty colleagues through the Royal College of Physicians and at the request of uh, government to inform best practice for such groups. Additionally, we've worked collaboratively with other societies such as Basel, Buspan, and our third sector colleagues working with patient groups to ensure our advice has been consistent and relevant. In a similar way, uh, we've approached our advice uh, given on endoscopy practice, and I think have been able to lead in this area. Thank you, Catherine. I must say as a BSG member, the, the um, advice and guidance has been uh, exceptional. It, it really has. I noticed prior to this podcast, uh, literally in the last few days, in fact, that 
you've produced further guidance on how GI specialists can approach their services in the post-pandemic period, whatever that's going to look like, of course, because nobody really knows what that's going to look like. Could you talk through how that's been approached and uh, the general uh, advice given? Yes, that's correct, Phil. I think there is uncertainty about the timing of the phases of the pandemic that we're facing. But just as we've uh, published uh, in the article that we're speaking about today in GUT on IBD high-risk groups, it was important to try and apply some service recommendations right across the piece of specialty medicine. So last week, we produced a guidance framework for all specialty activity, looking not just to the peak of the COVID-19 epidemic, but looking to the recovery phase and the safe restoration of future service provision. I think it's important to stress that we plan now to mitigate against the risk of unintended harm for patients with non-COVID related disease in our specialty. Thank you, Catherine. And, and um, can I say once again, um, how grateful I know BSG members um, are um, for, to you and your team for all their hard work. Nick, if I could move on to, to ask you now about the IBD guidance produced, which I must say was produced in record time. How did you and the team approach writing such guidance and risk stratifying patients with IBD? Bearing in mind, of course, that the world has only known about COVID-19 for a few months, understanding the virus and disease uh, it causes is changing rapidly and the vast amounts of research papers that are being published daily about these, uh, how the virus affects these patient groups. Thanks for the question, Phil, and thanks for inviting me to speak today. I, th I think it's been a, a really good example of uh, team working between a number of different organisations, uh, particularly the BSG, and as Catherine has already said, with uh, working with Crohn's and Colitis UK, uh, with the IBD registry and with the broader IBD community as well. Um, I think uh, one of the things that's enabled us to work at pace and come up with a, what I think are, are comprehensive guidelines which cover not only clinical management but aspects of service provision is the existing uh, collaborative nature of IBD work within the UK. Uh, there's been a number of projects which have uh, helped foster this. Uh, recently, the uh, IBD guidelines, which were led by Chris Lamb and Barney Hawthorne, which were, took up a whole supplement of, of gut, um, I think have been a great example of uh, a large team working well together um, to deliver what I think is an excellent piece of work that um, spans the full um, uh, domain of IBD service provision and uh, clinical management. Uh, so I think those sorts of um, uh, frameworks, and I think also uh, the framework we have from research, I think the UK is world leading in aspects of IBD research, including uh, genetics and pharmacogenetics, and uh, think projects such as the IBD bioresource and some of the pharmacogenetic projects led from uh, Exeter have again uh, been good examples of working across sites um, all, right, all over the UK. I think the second thing that's enabled us to work at the speed we have has been uh, the adaptation of, uh, sorry, adoption of uh, modern technologies. We've used um, uh, various ones, including WhatsApp and Teams, um, which have allowed us to work uh, effectively remotely um, using video conferencing. And I think for, for some, particularly those perhaps from a more clinical angle rather than research angle, it's been one of their um, earlier uh, forays into using uh, video conferencing for large meetings, but that's worked really well. Uh, so we can get input from lots of people around the UK into these, uh, this, uh, these, this guidance. 
I think we've also then been able to take advantage of the different strengths that people bring um, from around the country, uh, both in terms of literature review and ensuring we learn the lessons uh, from China and from Italy, who were ahead of us in terms of uh, their phases of the pandemic. Uh, in terms of co coordination and team working and, in, and ensuring that what we write has as far as possible um, got a good scientific grounding, uh, accepting the limitations of the evidence at this time. Uh, again, I think it's been really important that we've worked uh, alongside Crohn's and Colitis UK. Uh, they've been involved in uh, input into the guidance, but also ensuring that we were able to go live, not only with a version of the document for healthcare professionals, but also uh, some of the uh, information distilled for patients as well. Um, and um, this particularly was important for the risk stratification grid, which we've been developing uh, to enable patients at highest risk to be identified for shielding. I think in terms of promotion of the guidance, once uh, we had a, um, a, a document that was ready to disseminate, clearly the BSG has been instrumental in this in terms of having it on their website. And then we've made good use of social media um, to make sure this was disseminated widely within the UK and beyond. And I think the UK guidance has been produced uh, is a, a good example internationally of what, what's been achieved in this short time. Finally, I think the, uh, in terms of ongoing projects beyond the initial guidance, uh, we're now um, working on a, a survey of the impact of COVID-19 on uh, provision of IBD care. And I think it's been really important in terms of informing guidance that goes forward to the post-pandemic period that you were referring to in your previous question to Catherine. Thank you, Nick. Um, outstanding work. Uh, and um, thank you to all of the, the team that helped um, produce this with you. Our listeners will be able to access this paper on a link under this podcast and also via the GUT uh, website and the BSD website. So please do visit those. Nick, can I also touch on, if I may, the work that you particularly have been doing with the IBD registry and patients completing online information to risk stratify themselves? How did that come about and what are the outcomes from that? Thanks, Phil. Um, so the NHS England strategy for identifying patients in the highest risk group uh, was to work with the uh, specialty societies uh, such as the BSG to develop the criteria and for then those to be implemented by secondary care. Um, so for hospitals to search their uh, patient databases and other systems to identify which patients met those criteria. Um, I think this is an important um, thing that we've all been uh, doing. Um, there are unfortunately some limitations of secondary care data and these will be uh, different in different places within the country. Uh, some places have comprehensive electronic health records, including e-prescribing, which facilitates searching to find these patients uh, other hospitals will have much more fragmented systems, including a reliance on paper, which makes identification of patients uh, at speed uh, more difficult. Um, at the other end, um, for some of the other patient groups, NHS Digital have uh, worked on the centrally held data sets, uh, and there's also been work looking at primary care, but much of the care of IBD patients is held in records which aren't necessarily translated into centrally held records or ones that um, will be in primary care. And so this was something that we identified within our group uh, while we were writing the risk stratification uh, guidance and the concept of how we would engage patients uh, to help with identifying their own risk uh, came up. Um, Stuart Bloom, who's the uh, clinical lead for the IBD registry, made contact with me shortly after the uh, initial version of the BSG guidance uh, was made available through the BSG's website and uh, discussed how feasible it might be to develop a tool uh, working with the IBD registry that would allow patients to identify their own risk and ideally allow that then to be communicated back to their hospital teams. Um, 
I've got a background of working with a, a system called REDCap, which uh, is, is a system used all over the world in four and a half thousand institutions for collecting research and uh, clinical improvement data um, related to healthcare. And so I thought this was a good opportunity to, to use that uh, to benefit patients and the IVD community in the UK. And so made a start on developing uh, a tool within REDCap and had a, a, a prototype uh, with some of the questions at least in place by the end of that day. Um, we worked with closely with the IBD registry, with Liz Dobbs in particular as the chief executive of the registry uh, and with Stuart um, to get that um, all together, including all of the technical logistics and information governance necessary for that to be deployed at scale over the coming week. And we went live um, to patients eight days after that original idea was discussed. The information governance we, we did under the um, COPE notice, which uh, relates to the public health uh, and, and, and COVID-19 response and we had inf uh, expert information governance uh, input into that. Uh, we were also working closely with Crohn's Colitis UK and with the broader UK IBD COVID-19 working group we've been working on the guidance to ensure uh, what we uh, came out with was accessible to patients but also aligned with the BSG guidance. Once we had the tool ready we worked again with Crohn's Colitis UK um, and also directly through social media to promote this to patients and also uh, requested that sites uh, would engage their patients to use the tool uh, to assist them with identifying their highest risk groups. We've uh, rolled, rolled that out in terms of uh, data, to, data being released to sites and the initial results we've had from secondary care validation have been very promising in terms of showing the value of patient-entered data. One of the other reasons for collecting these data have been to allow us to uh, try and uh, further understand which of the risk factors we think may be important actually impact on the risk of severe illness from COVID-19. And we're working uh, with both the data developed from the registry tool and also uh, looking at data from the IBD bioresource, uh, to, to ideally to link that with Public Health England uh, data to understand uh, the true answer to these questions. Um, it's been a true pan-UK um, project. We've got data coming in from uh, all, uh, England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. And uh, as of today, we've currently got a data from about 26,500 patients from 176 trusts and health boards around the UK. Uh, and uh, we've got uh, 191 uh, users around the country who have access to their patients' data. Uh, we've also ensured we've uh, had a, a route for feedback from uh, participants in the tool, uh, which has helped improve both the tool itself, but has also led to some clarifications of the BSG's risk grid, which I think is a great example of working with patients at scale to ensure that our guidance is accessible to them uh, and, and meets their needs. Thank you, Nick. Uh, again, I must say, outstanding, very impressive work. And I know that I do speak for the entire IBD community and patients alike, thanking you and the team for this work and for the guidance. Finally, um, could I ask you both separately, first of all, starting with Catherine and then you, uh, with you, Nick, on how you think GI services as a whole, and then especially IBD services, will have to adapt in the medium and long term in relation to the way that care is delivered, especially focusing on opportunities and potential positives from what is a very, very challenging time. Um, Catherine, could I, could I start with you? Thanks, Phil. Yes. Uh, just before I move to answer your question directly, can I just comment on the impact of the grid and some of the uh, highlights that Nick picked up on in uh, his answer to your questions? First is to say that the importance of the grid itself uh, is twofold. First, it was 
linked to government websites. So government websites linked directly to the BSG website for that risk assessment grid. And separately, advice uh, sent to all GPs through the Royal College of General Practitioners have linked directly to that clinical risk grid for patients with IBD. So I, again, I would really uh, endorse what Nick was saying about this uh, complete circle in, of involvement with specialists, primary care physicians, government and patient groups. And then that, I think that brings us on to uh, what you're asking me next, and that is what will change as a result of uh, what we've learned out of this process. Well, I think we've demonstrated already, and Nick gave a great summary of how multiple different agencies came together to deliver at pace, but still within a very well-governanced framework, high-quality service to patients. And this is going to define the new norm. This is an opportunity not to move backwards to some of the slightly more uh, confined and restricted ways of working that we've used uh, in the NHS. I think the new norm is likely to embed much earlier senior specialty clinician triage into patient pathways. And it will be driven and delivered, as Nick has highlighted, by digital means. Most of our routine work should and should and will be continued uh, to be delivered uh, through I, the, our new IT literate uh, clinicians. And I think it will increase inevitably direct specialty contact with patients. And this is something that's been being debated for a long time. Finally, finally I, I think my comment would be that ultimately uh, this package of delivery will lead to a much more responsive healthcare system. And it will use clinical priority, uh, supported by virtual triage and where necessary, uh, biomarker stratification of risk uh, to provide focused investigation, diagnosis and treatment of our patients. So the upside of an immensely stressful and challenging period for healthcare, I think will be a new norm of clinical practice. Thank you, Catherine. Um, Nick, could I could I ask for your thoughts as well, please? Thanks. Uh, I, th I completely agree with uh, what Catherine's been saying, and, and I've made some notes along similar lines uh, when when thinking about what to say at this stage. I think uh, we around the country we've been at various different stages of uh, deploying. Uh, technologies that allow us to, to, to manage patients remotely, including uh, telephone and vi uh, video conferencing solutions, as well as the use of apps and uh, other uh, technologies like point-of-care calprotectin and, and home calprotectin uh, to um, permit remote monitoring of patients and remote management. I think this has accelerated that process, and as Catherine says, I think it will establish a new norm. I think there'll still very much be a place for face-to-face -face clinics, uh, but I think uh, we, all, we all know for some time that the solution where we have patients travelling sometimes quite considerable distances, uh, struggling to park and then waiting quite a bit of time in the waiting room for a five minute appointment where uh, things are going fine, uh, is not the way we ideally would like to be delivering healthcare in 2020. And I think 
um, with the opportunities of seeing how it can work when we have to work remotely. I'm sure we will continue to do that where it makes sense to uh, following this period. I think it also has helped highlight um, through uh, things such as the, the registry tool we were discussing previously, the value of patient reported data. I think there's undoubtedly a value from uh, clinician interpretation of a patient situation and there are some aspects of uh, understanding of our disease that are best uh, asked of a clinician. Uh, but there are others and certainly in terms of the use of patient reported outcome measures um, where we, we're better off asking the patient directly. And I think if we can build uh, the, uh, the tools that will allow us to integrate the two in the, in the best way moving forwards. Again, I think that will be uh, a great uh, opportunity moving forwards. As Catherine has said, I think um, this um, process of developing the guidance has emphasised the importance of close uh, team working both within uh, sections of our community, so within health, between healthcare professionals, but also between uh, professional societies, uh, charities, uh, small and medium enterprises and, and, and healthcare professionals uh, to make sure we get the, the best results out of uh, projects we engage with. In terms of research, there's been uh, several projects being developed within uh, IBD, um, but also more broadly in terms of the uh, what's been done for clinical trials for COVID, which show that uh, things can be done at pace uh, to uh, bring research online while maintaining standards in terms of governance uh, around research. And again, I think we should uh, learn lessons from that. Um, finally, uh, we've already had some discussions uh, following on from what we've been doing for IBD um, around with uh, colleagues dealing with other immune-mediated diseases. And although this has been a theme that's come up over the last few years, that we can learn from each other and make sure that, um, that we don't just work in silos, again, I think uh, this will hopefully drive us towards uh, even closer working across specialties that tend to use fairly similar drugs uh, to treat uh, immune-mediated processes in patients. And I think that has to be a good thing uh, for our patients and for our professional communities moving forwards. Thank you. Thank you both. Uh, I, I couldn't agree with more. And it's always very good to finish a podcast on a positive note. I agree there's lots of opportunities. Um, again, thank you to both of you, um, not just from myself, but from Professor Al Omar, um, the gut team, but also from the entire gastroenterology family and community for your huge efforts. Please take care, both of you and your respective families. And this, of course, applies to all our listeners, too. It's a terribly difficult time for everybody. Everybody can access um, the BSG guidance to, um, to the paper we've just discussed via the BSG website, the gut website, and, and also below this podcast. So, uh, please follow those links. Thank you once again for listening to this good, uh, good podcast. And please join us again in the future. Thank you.